Hello and welcome to the Scene Magazine podcast. My name is Alex Kleinberg and my guest is Val McDermott, one of the most successful crime writers working today. So Ali Burns is the hero of your new novel, 1979, and it's the first part of a series of novels. So what drew you to the year 1979 and the world of journalism before the internet? Well, as, as is so often the way uh, when you're, you're writing a novel, it it's, it's almost starts from the end. Uh, and I wanted to write a sequence of novels that covered a period of time. Uh, and when we found ourselves in the grip of, of COVID and the pandemic and everything in the world, our world as we knew it, changed overnight almost, uh, I thought that if I was going to write such a sequence of books, it should, I didn't want to write in the pandemic because I felt I had no solid ground to stand on because I didn't know the world that this book would be emerging into, so I couldn't write in the here and now. So I thought if I end this sequence on the last year of so-called normal life, then that would be 2019. So working backwards from that took me to 1979, and I thought, well, that's good, because 1979 was a really interesting year. Um, and that, that was where, that's how I landed in 1979. And the more I started to research it, the more, the more I thought there were interesting narrative possibilities there for me. Uh, and so that that was a bit of a gift, really. So you worked as a journalist in the 1970s. How much did your own experience filter through into this novel? Well, I, I, I became a journalist in 1975. I spent two years working on local papers in Devon, and then I went to the Daily Record in Glasgow, uh, which was uh, Scotland's national newspaper. Uh, and uh, Inevitably, my experiences working as a journalist there have, have shaped the way I've written about the world of journalism in, in that time because that's how it was for me. You know, I, I lived it, and so I can describe it with a degree of, of accuracy uh, and from the inside. Uh, so also because I wanted to make sure that I was remembering things correctly. Uh, I ran the first draft past an old colleague of mine and she said, yeah, you've nailed it. And journalism was quite different back then. It was, uh, I mean, very much a man's world. Uh, There were three women reporters in the newsroom, which was rammed with men. Uh, We weren't allowed to be all on shift at the same time because the men were convinced we'd just sit around gossiping or swapping knitting patterns or something. Uh, Somehow when women have a conversation, it's gossip. And when men talk about football, it's significant major conversation. Um, And, of course, women had to really prove themselves in the newsroom. And I doubly had to prove myself because I came from the graduate training scheme and I'd been to university and and all those things that... uh, made me different from the standard uh, mould of the Daily Record reporter. Uh, It was not an easy task. My very first job, my first day, I was sent out to to do a death knock for four teenagers who died in a car crash in the Lake District. And my job was to go around their families and get photographs and interviews and get that back to the office in time for the first edition. And I knew that if I did not do that, my life would be hell. That would be the end of it, really. Um, and so I did it. Well, as I remember reading in Christopher Hitchens' autobiography, and he quite really romanticised like the world of Fleet Street in, in the 70s. But from what I've read, from what, what you've said, it, it, it was not a, like a kind of romanticised experience at, at all. No, it wasn't. It was hard work. Um, it was long hours. There was a lot of drinking uh, and there was... 
a lot of misogyny. I mean, there was very, it was very definitely uh, not uh, an open, equal environment for women to work in at all. And so you've already touched on this. So the series is going to move to, I think, 1989 and then 2019. So was part of the appeal of doing this new series the ability to be able to describe different periods of history that you yourself have lived through? I wanted I wanted to take the sort of long look, if you like, over sort of, you know, like 40-odd years, see how we've changed. I mean, so much has changed in that time, uh, socially, politically, technologically, music, fashion, the food we eat. Uh, it's it's been transformed over that period, and I thought it would be interesting to write a series of novels that that uh, that explored that time frame. I mean, there's a sense in which I feel it's completely hubristic, uh, and, and I'm riding for a fall, but I really hope not. Uh, I think the secret is to not just rely on your memory, but to do the research properly, and that means not just reading the the books that say you know this is a history of the 1980s. But you have to dive back into the newspapers of the time as well, because so often the stories that were hitting the headlines are not the stories that make it into the history books. Yeah. Things we were talking about, uh, oh, we didn't have a water cooler in those days, did we? The things we were talking about in our coffee break uh, were not necessarily the things that make it into the history books. And those are the things, I think, that make it come alive for people reading it uh, and explain it, I suppose, or, or at least... Uh, give a snapshot of it to people who weren't around at the time. So I want this to appeal both to people who lived it, but also to people who didn't live it so that they can understand a bit of the world that that wasn't theirs. Yeah, well, I, I'm sold. When I read the kind of blurb for the series, I, just, I thought, like, I, I want to read that. Um, so <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the response I want to provoke. <laughs> so, yeah, so crime fiction is very much your genre. You know, many people consider you to be the queen of crime and you've written so many crime novels over the years. Like, Do you have like a working theory of what crime fiction is? Um, I think it's... Uh, it, it fulfills a variety of needs for people, I think. Um, for one thing, it's entertaining uh, and it's it's exciting. A good crime novel literally has you on the edge of your seat or you know has you leaving the light on long after you should have gone to sleep. that that drive to find out what happens next is a really powerful one. And adrenaline's a great drug. it's it's free, it's it's, it's it drives you and I think people want to be excited in a safe space. Uh, it's it's good to be scared in a safe space. You know, it's like when you go on a fairground ride and you go on the roller coaster and, and you scream and scream and scream and you come off at the end and you're really high and you want to go and do it all over again, even though it was terrifying, it was also wonderful. And so I think a good crime novel does that. It excites you, it terrifies you, but it also makes you feel safe because you know at the end, however many terrible things happen, somebody's going to come along and make it all right at the end in the world of the, the crime novel. And I think that's been a comfort that's been particularly important to us in the last couple of years with the pandemic, the sense that, uh, that there's a comfort in, in these books, that, that something is not out of control as we feel it is when we're reading it. Uh, and I also think there's a, there's a kind of um, sublimation going on as well. We've all felt murderous at some time or another. We've all thought, I could kill him or I could kill her. Yeah. Um, and for all sorts of reasons, uh, we don't do it. We don't act on it. But in a way, when you read a crime novel, you can kind of fantasise about it. You know, I've killed a lot of news editors in my books over the years. Um, so you can picture 
you can picture yourself, if you like, sometimes in the shoes of the murderer, taking revenge on the people who've annoyed you. And I think that's also quite, quite, uh, quite a healthy, cathartic thing to be doing. But at the end of the day, um, it's, it's also turned into the novel of social realism. This is the, it's the books you go to to find out how we live now, uh, in, in the way that we go to Charles Dickens to find out how people lived in the Victorian era. I think in 100 years, people will be coming to crime fiction to see how we live now. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but in the, in the olden days when we could go on holiday, um, I, I'd often find myself checking out a, a novel, a crime novel that was set in a place near where I was going or where I was going for my holiday to get a wee bit of a handle on it before I went uh, to get a sense of what the place was like. Uh, and I think that's also part of, of what they do at a time like this when we're all confined to our own homes. It's quite exciting to be transported to, to Sicily or to Los Angeles or to, to Sydney. Uh, and, and you can do that in the pages of a book. You break down the, the walls of your living room and go someplace else. Yeah, well, if I could um, transport you to um, Harrogate uh, briefly, um, I, I grew up in Harrogate and I know you co-founded the Crime Writing Festival in Harrogate, which I've been to a couple of times and it's really great. And when I was growing up in Harrogate, it's a beautiful town, but it is culturally it wasn't the most dynamic place. So this 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 literature festival, I think, really you know just brought something to Harrogate that Harrogate needed. So what inspired you to to co-found that festival? Was it mainly the Agatha Christie connection? No, it was the original uh, Harrogate International Festival is is principally sort of music and, and dance, um, and they were looking for a literary component to their festival uh, about 20 years ago. And uh, the festival director was working with a publicist who had been a literary agent. And she suggested that they should have a crime festival. And they were a bit dubious about this because they thought, you know, crime's a bit infradig, really, for you know people who want ballet and opera. But uh, what they weren't realising is that everybody loves crime fiction. Uh, and so they suggested that uh, this, this crime festival for Harrogate and um, myself and my agent, Jane Gregory, and the publisher, Maria Rate, who is the publisher of The Mantle List at uh, Pan Macmillan, uh, we kind of got together with them and uh, put together the first festival. Thought it'd be fun. Uh, I had no idea it was going to turn into uh, probably the biggest crime festival in Europe. Uh, yeah. And, and, and a fantastic event now. I mean, that's it. And with... with Theakston's came on board on the second year and have been a fantastic sponsor uh, working with us to make the festival bigger and stronger and better. And now uh, it's uh, people just say, are you going to Harrogate? In the, in, in the reading and writing fraternity, everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. They don't mean, are you going to that lovely Victorian spa town nestled in York, North Yorkshire? They think, no, you're going, to, you're going to go and talk about murder and mayhem. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it started because they, they wanted to to do something to do with books that would attract people. And, and we suggested that crime was the way to go. So in terms of the writing process itself, do you need to know where the bodies are buried before you start writing, especially you know, in crime fiction as compared with, with other genres? Well, when I started out, uh, I thought plot was my weakest point. And I devoted a lot of time and energy to uh, trying to get my plots to work. And I used to plan in great detail before I started so I'd have like, you know, uh, file cards with every scene by scene, chapter by chapter, plotted out on, on file cards ahead of starting. And then I'd follow the route. Uh, the advantage of that for me was that if, if, as I was writing, I thought of a better way to achieve something, I could kind of divert from the main route 
knowing where I was coming back to on, on the story spine. And, and for a long time, that worked very well for me. And then it just stopped working. Uh, and I was forced to, to develop a much looser form of, of putting the book together. So now when I, when I start, I have a sense of the shape of the story. I kind of know where it's going to end, what, what the, the, the conclusion is going to be. Uh, and I know probably two or three crucial turning points along the way. And I know whose book it is, most importantly. That's where I probably spend most time before I start, is getting to know the characters that drive the story. And then I just, just write it now. Um, and so far, so far that's worked. Okay. There may come a day when that stops working and I have to find another way of doing it. But, you know, for now, that's suiting me fine. So in the 80s, when you started writing fiction, you and maybe Jeanette Winterson were conspicuous by being women from working class backgrounds who wrote about gay, specifically lesbian characters in your books. At the time, did that just feel like like what you were doing or, or did you feel like, like, like a pioneer, like you were paving the way for the next generation? I, I didn't really think of myself as... as um being a trailblazer, and when I, when I wrote the Lindsay Gordon novels in the 19, late 1980s and onwards, I, I was aware that nobody had written sort of British lesbian detective before me, but I wasn't really thinking about it in those terms. It was it was this was the book that that demanded my attention, the book, the story I wanted to tell. Um, but I was also conscious that when I was growing up, there were no images of lesbians. There was no template for a lesbian life. There was no template for those kind of relationships there were no not really any significant lesbian fiction there wasn't lesbians in the soaps there wasn't lesbian images in film there weren't lesbian sports stars or pop stars they were just invisible and I wanted to write a book I suppose that that meant the next generation of, of young women coming up after me would have something they could look at and say, it's possible to have this life. I didn't want it to be about being a lesbian. I wanted to write the kind of character, a character who had the kind of life I wanted to lead, which was being gay is part of who you are and you're part of the landscape of ordinary life, if you like. Uh, I didn't want to live in a ghetto and I didn't want to write in a ghetto. And I knew that I knew that most young women growing up just wanted to find a way to express their own sexuality, their own view of the world. They didn't necessarily want to make a great song and dance about it. And so I wanted Lindsay Gordon to be a character whose sexuality was an important part of who she was, but it wasn't the only important part of who she was. So, you know, her her, her Scottishness, her job as a journalist, her, her interests, her tastes, are not all shaped by the fact that she's gay. And that's kind of how I've written LGBT lives throughout my work. There's always gay and lesbian characters in the books, but they're, it's not something that's extraordinary. It's just part of the landscape, if you like. It's part of what the world is. And that's kind of what I, how I want to live my life. I want to be part of the world that I'm in. Uh, and so that's how I, I started writing it and, and how I wanted to continue. It's very gratifying to me that so many people have, have found uh, in my books something that spoke to them. Uh, and I'm amazed constantly by, by the number of, of, of young women, particularly who come up to me still and say, yours were the first books I read with a lesbian protagonist. And, and I just felt so at home there. Uh, 
the books have never been out of print since they were first published. And I think that's sort of, I mean, it's, it's partly testament to the, the paucity of, of books that there were that described our lives in any substantial form. Um, and, I'm, and I'm proud to be part of that. But as I say, I didn't start off with a revolution in mind. I just wanted to write the books that were important to me. It's always, it's always been about telling the stories that, that were shouting loudest in my head. Um, I never set out with, um, I didn't set out to change the world. Well, you know, since then, you, you've been incredibly successful and you've sold a lot of books. I think I, I saw you being interviewed at the Edinburgh International uh, Book Festival by Nicola Sturgeon. Do you feel all these years later that you're sort of part of the establishment now? I mean, not that that's a bad thing. I try very hard to stay out of that. I want to be able to to speak about the world as I see it and speak about politics as I see it and not feel constrained by by obligations to anybody outside that. Um, Nicola Sturgeon interviewed me at the book festival because the First Minister always does interviews at the book festival of, of writers. She yeah. does it every year. Um, I was the first one she, she chose and I was very proud to, to be the first one she chose, chose. And since then we have we have developed a friendship which often circles around books mostly. Um, but I don't see myself as being part of the I'm certainly not part of the SNP establishment. I don't belong to any political party and I just like to be in a position where I can speak my mind. So what are you most excited about for writing this new series and what are you most anxious about? Well, it's it's five books, so that means I'm pretty much committed for the next five years to writing this sequence of novels. Um, I'm anxious about getting it right uh, and not imposing my own recollections and my own view of the world on on the books to the extent that they don't speak to other people. Um, and I'm anxious about finding really strong stories uh, that uh, I can carry through each of these years. I mean, there's a lot going on, in, uh, happily, a lot going on in these years, but I have to find a way to marry those external events to a really strong narrative that that, uh, that somewhere has a, has a dead body in it. Um, <laughs> Because that's 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 what I do, you know. Um, so that's that's I suppose that's the real challenge is to make the books exciting and readable, but also not to lose that sense of authenticity that goes beyond my own experience. Well, thanks for talking to me, Val. I've been a big fan of your writing for many years, and I'm really looking forward to reading 1979 and the rest of this new series. Thanks. Now, just say one one small thing. Sorry, when you were saying that about uh, about. The establishment. Yeah, I think one one of the privileges of my success is that it allows me to to lend my name or lend my support to things that I believe in as important causes. Things like the Homeless World Cup and the Scottish Book Trust, uh, both of which I'm involved with, um, and that for me is the, is, is the most important uh, aspect of of having that kind of public profile that I can be supportive to things that matter and, and things like Stonewall. You know, it's, 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 it's good for, for, for me. The, the, the only possible use of that kind of power is to, to support things that need support. I don't mean, I don't mean to sound all virtuous. And, and no, 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 that seems very bad. Okay. It's good to talk to you, Alex. Thank you. 
Val McDermott's latest novel, 1979, is out now. Be sure to check it out. And if you've never been to the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival before, I highly recommend it. It's one of the best literary festivals around. It will be back this year in July.